Hi friends, Dr. Shelley here. Guess what? You're not going to believe this. I have another book coming out from Llewellyn Worldwide. It will be out on December 8th and it's called Blast from the Past, Healing Spontaneous Past Life Memories. So earlier in the 2000s, I wrote a book series, which I have discussed on the Healing Arts Podcast about a phenomenon I call Supretravi, Spontaneous Past Life Memories. This is when we're trying to mind our own business and yet we're hit with this picture, thought, or feeling about something that happened to us in the past. This was happening to me all the time while I was traveling to other places. And what I found through my research is that I truly believe this happens to every single person alive. The book has some incredible endorsements from people like Coast to Coast's George Norrie and others. And it would mean the world to me if you will go out and pre-order my book so that you can have it before the holidays when it comes out on December 8th. So check out Blast from the Past, Healing Spontaneous Past Life Memories, now available in pre-order on Amazon.com. And thank you so much for your support. Namaste. The Healing Arts Program is not intended as a substitute for consultation with a licensed medical or mental health professional. The listener should regularly consult a physician or mental health professional in matters relating to his or her health, and particularly with respect to any symptoms that may require diagnosis or medical attention. This program provides content related to educational, medical, and psychological topics. As such, listening to the program implies your acceptance of this disclaimer. You are listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at www.pastlifelady.com. Connect with me on YouTube at Past Life Lady or on my Facebook fan page at Past Life Lady. Welcome to Healing Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Care. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of Healing Arts. So I am on a journey to meet amazing, incredible people, and my guest today is certainly no exception. Marianne O'Hara has been um, an award-winning writer. She's a literary expert, and yet the book of the lifetime she has written, it is her memoir called Little Matches, a memoir of grief and light, which is about her beloved daughter, Caitlin's courageous struggle with cystic fibrosis. Marianne, it, this is such a beautiful book. Welcome to Healing Arts. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful to be here. You and your family, um, I, I feel like I know you. Um, you just, you're such a great writer and you've brought that into this memoir in a way that it's reading like a novel mm. you're taking us so deeply into some things that are so personal in your life I feel like I know you I feel like if you were here right now I would love to give you a hug oh, I would and I just want to say this is an amazing book um, and I was wondering if you could just share with us about your beloved Caitlin and her journey and the journey that the two of you the courageous journey that the two of you shared and your whole family over the course of many years Sure. Thank you so much for those kind words. Uh, Caitlin was diagnosed with CF when she was only two years old. So we lived with it forever. I was a young mom. We were newly married. And I mean, she was literally born like 10 months after we got married. <laughs> All the relatives were counting, counting their fingers. And um, suddenly she was diagnosed with this terminal disease and everything was uncertain. So we had to learn to live with chronic uncertainty which was hard in many ways, but once we got used to it, it also was its own gift because we learned really to live in the moment. And CF is in a good way, you know, 
you know, it's a horrible disease, obviously, but in many ways it's good because it's invisible. So she was able to live a pretty normal life for many years. And she always looked, you know, what we call normal from the outside. So she was able to have a really happy in in an in independent life. She started a business, she went to college, she traveled. She was always really fiery and her own person. And as long as we weren't dealing with a crisis, I felt like, okay, I could put CF in a box and we would live in the moment. And, right. and that worked. And then CF is a progressive disease and she did start to decline in her 20s until she finally needed a lung transplant. I was hoping you know, when she was young that that time would never come because CF is also annoying because nobody experiences it in the same way. You know, some people they seem like they're not going to make it and they live to be, you know, 70. And then other people who she was doing so well for so long and then suddenly she got one thing and then she got another thing and so you just never know. So anyway, Caitlin was a really magical person. I think a lot of kids who have to deal with illness are they're sort of old old souls as everyone calls them and they are wise beyond their years. We used to joke that you know, if she didn't have CF, we would probably be shallow, awful people. <laughs> um, we would joke about it. But we, we also had a really great relationship. I was a very reluctant mother, did not want to have kids, you know, hadn't planned on it. I was, I was 25 when I had her, but it turned out to be a, a, a wonderful, wonderful experience. And I miss her terribly. Um, and I wrote this book to share how wonderful she was and how wonderful life is ultimately you know it's a memoir of grief but it's also a memoir of light and that's really yes. important i had asked the publisher i said that cover needs to glow it needs to reflect light like caitlin did and i wanted to inspire people and it seems to be doing that it's definitely doing that and what's so special about it is that the two of you kept blogs and then that's really what how this book was born was out of a lot of your blog posts and and she does say very profound things she? throughout the book um she's like a sage like a teacher yeah. who's teaching us all yeah it was really important to include her writing um in it because i mean i, I was just always sort of in awe of her even when she was really little she she had this kind spirit. She was very fiery. Like there's a part where I, I had to very, you know, in one page sort of give you an idea of who she was as a child and growing up. And there was one part where I just talk about how I'd put her down in the airport and say, now you just stay right here. And she'd just run off laughing, cackling. I'm a bad girl. <laughs> and she took delight in, in not conforming, but also being so kind. She had incredible friends who she's inspiring to this day to do wonderful things with their lives. So I'm still so proud of her and it felt really important to have her writing in the book. So yeah, I've got text messages and emails and things that she wrote to other people and I read them and I'm like, man, where did you come from? You were a gift. Yeah, absolutely. The text messages were also just very immediate and really, really um, very interesting. You take us so deeply into your lives when you had to relocate to Pittsburgh during that time before her transplant. And mm -hmm. we get to really see into the life of what that's like. So tell us like, how hard was that to live in that constant state of flux and, and waiting and anticipating it, for that to come? It was awful for me. I mean, it was awful for all of us, but you know, I moved full-time with her. I just, as I always had my whole adult life, it was great when she was independent, but if she needed help, she knew she could depend on me to like drop everything and, and help her. And that is so important. I mean, it's such a, that's a whole other topic about caregiving in this country and how people, caregivers are, are ignored. And I feel really fortunate that I was able to move with her to Pittsburgh because she needed somebody. It's part of being accepted for transplant. You have to have somebody who's willing to do that for you. Anyway, um, I've always, been a person who kind of I don't like feeling restricted and that's part of the reason why I never really wanted kids from the beginning I just wanted to be free to travel to do whatever I wanted to do and having to move to Pittsburgh and not being able to go anywhere was really hard for me and Caitlin was again the sage who at one point I recount in the book how 
I was fretting about something and she was like, you know, mom, this is my life. As hard as it is to say, you know, we want this to be over with. As hard as it is to say, there are no guarantees. I might not make it and you might be wishing we could be back here someday. So let's try to make this time the best it can be because this is my life right now and I don't want to live it like I'm just waiting for it to be over. And oh my gosh, I mean, I've just got the chills. Just, you know, she, she was so right. And of course, I'd give anything to be back there in Pittsburgh waiting with her right now. And and in many ways, it was also a really precious time. I did a a book club visit. Um, I had had a novel that had just been out and I did a book club visit with this big group of ladies in Pittsburgh one night. And they all kind of looked at me and they said, you're so lucky you get to spend all this time with your adult daughter. Like one of them had a daughter who had moved over to Asia. And she said, I I just feel like I'm never really going to see her again. And I thought, yeah, it was on the heels of Caitlin saying that to me. And I thought, yeah, I have to really um, look, look at the positive side of all of this. That's one of the other things that was so amazing about the book is because the two of you really were best friends and you, you talk about your soul books that you would read and, you know, I like reincarnation and so does my audience. So you also spoke about um, Dr. Brian Weiss's books Mm. and how the concept of reincarnation and some of these other spiritual ideas um, helped. And so I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit as well. Yes. I mean, that's, that's why I'm actually excited to talk about these kinds of things, because since the book came out, I'm asked a lot about grief and I, yeah, I have lots to say about that. And for a medical audience, I'm prepared to, and I'm going to be doing that, but I'm really happy to talk about all of this because, you know, we are all temporary yes. and our culture doesn't, doesn't want to think about that. And I think that by thinking about the fact that the arc of a lifetime is finite, a human lifetime, it actually helps you live better in the moment and, and take stock of your life and think, what am I, what am I really doing with my life? Am I just like plugging along, plugging along, thinking, oh, someday, someday, someday. So I think that, you know, Caitlin would really be happy that I've put those things in those parts in the book, because originally too, certain people were saying, oh, you know, write a traditional grief book. And I was like, well, what is that? What's a traditional grief book? I can only write my own journey. And my journey from the beginning was, okay, Caitlin and I liked to read those soul books and, and talk about them and think what if I mean Brian Weiss is very he's full of credentials and he's very convincing and reading his book mm-hmm. felt like a gift when she first started to go downhill when she was in college because it gave a sense of comfort and then she um you know and then after she was gone I was desperately looking at those books and they would I would find comfort in the moment and then put the close them and just be distraught like how can any of this be true it's a fairy tale but the the real arc of the book really is my search for those for at least some kind of knowing for myself because there's such a difference between believing in something and knowing something for yourself right yeah i set off in search of knowing and that's that's really what the book is about me coming to terms with what i feel i know about the mystery of our existence within time, so to speak. Yeah, like why are we here? And then the other piece, I would think, um, just as as your reader, Mm -hmm. you know how we have roles in this life, like we're a daughter, we're a friend, we're Mm -hmm. an employee, and yet you were mom, and then now you have to find this different identity. Yeah, yes. And that, for me as your reader, just it was really um you're just brave oh thank you thank you i i I do think that you you either deal with something or you lie down and die you know and you give up and to me like i'm always going to live with the grief always it's just a part of my life now i've learned how to incorporate it into who i am and how i exist I love the world. I love nature. I love the people that I love. I love travel. I love to eat. I love living. But I, I grieve a lot. And, you know, I've been talking about Caitlin so much in the, since the book came out that I'm back to crying almost every day again. And that's right. okay because I miss her so much and I feel her, but it's not the same as her being right here. But I'm also really, really happy to have created her legacy as well as my own. And, 
and just to know that the book is touching people and inspiring them and making them feel less alone. I mean, everything I talk about, it can all be extrapolated to the universal, right? You know, right. So it's not just a story about a mother losing her daughter or cystic fibrosis or any of that. It's people dealing with what life throws at them. And sometimes life really wallops you. And, and it did, certainly, ultimately. But for the most part, we had a great life, you know? Right. And like she said, this is her life. So, you know, exactly. guess what? Make the most out of it and mm -hmm. just do it now. That now. is really awesome. Not tomorrow. Yeah. Today. Living. Yes. yes. And the other thing um, I want to make sure I remember to tell, ask is you talked about, um, again, along the reincarnation lines mm -hmm. about the fact that Caitlin had music in her soul, oh, but she yeah. nev never really got to bring it out in this life. And you tell a story about um, uh, some research that emerged to you about an 11 year old prodigy so can you oh, just share that because yeah. that is super interesting okay. that and was really interesting i said yes 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 it was kind of convoluted to write it because it was a lot of back and forth but anyway she was you know she had cystic fibrosis and she would have to go in the hospital for antibiotic treatments you know maybe at once a year or whatever just to keep the organisms in her lungs at bay so they didn't cause too much trouble but when she got, when she was 11, she, a really tiny uh, mycobacteria ravaged one of her lobes of her lungs and she was really sick. We thought we might lose her when she was 11. It was a terrible time. She was in the hospital for months. And then, you know, she back to high school, college, you name it. But that one time was really fraught with terror. And I, I just remember how horrible it was to try and like sleep at night. And you're just waiting, you're waiting to see what will happen, waiting for results. It was, it was just a terrible, terrible time. And so that's part of the story, right? Now, when she was really little, she's, she always just loved music so much. And she started taking flute lessons when she was really young in elementary school. And she read music without ever being taught. And she just, I mean, I took piano lessons for nine years. I could never read music. I always had right. to eat every good boy, eat, eat fudge or whatever he does. But... <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> she she had this musical ability, but it was almost like she didn't want to be the musician. So she, it, it was just a strange thing. So anyway, around the time she's like 19, she started getting into, that's when I gave her the Brian Weiss book. I had just happened upon it and I thought, well, I think this feels meant, you know, I feel like this is a gift. And I gave her the book and a whole bunch of us read it and we all found it very comforting because because of his credentials, quite honestly, you know, like right. he wasn't just anybody saying what he was saying and the things he say are, are, are quite convincing. And then I took her to see him and that was also convincing a couple of years later. And I thought, well, if he's not for real, I'll just know. Right. But he, he, he was, he was just this quiet kind of boring, but in a good way, you know, I, he, he just was like this <laughs> doctor yeah. talking and i was like good i'm glad you're not like some slick showman no he's not i know him he, as well and yeah he's just so unassuming and, yeah, and you're quiet, like, no this, this gentle, is he's, real he's real he's lovely so anyway um around the same time caitlin one of caitlin's friends actually um, arranged for them to have these soul readings done and this woman just she didn't ask for anything they just had to call her and she was somewhere out in the west i think and she did Caitlin's soul reading and Caitlin was telling me about it. And I just started getting sh shivers. She had said, um, Caitlin had, had had these horrible dreams, nightmares from the time she was little about Nazis. And they were really bad nightmares. And she was afraid that she had been a Nazi. And this soul reader said, oh, no, 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 no. You could not have been bad. Your soul is just too elevated right now. Um, you were a Czechoslovakian musical prodigy and you were killed at age 11. Did anything happen to you at age 11 in this lifetime? I'm getting chills just saying it. And I'm like, yeah, um, I almost died. I had part of my lung removed and it wouldn't heal. And I was in the hospital for months. So it was really interesting. And um, I had, and the other weird thing about it was I had just published a short story in the North, in the North American Review, like literally all this is at the same time 
about a, a woman who had been a musical prodigy, a cellist, in the current day, but her name was Edith. And, and now Edith is a funny name to, to write about. And anyway, so I just had decided to Google for fun, you know, to see if I could find out who this person Caitlin supposedly had been, had been. And I started just Googling 11-year-old Czechoslovakia, musical prodigy, you know, Nazis, 1940s, whatever, and um, came up with someone named Edith. So it, it was really, it was like as a child prodigy of 11. It, so who knows, but it was really fascinating. I'm a believer, so, and I think a lot yeah. of this audience really is. I mean, well, I'm glad because it's really re a relief to talk to people who are, and also it's it's comforting and it's fun and it's fascinating, really. It really is because you mentioned with something that um, I've even found with some of the clients that I've worked with, which is this idea that there's like a holographic aspect to this. So her soul, let's say Caitlin's soul at age 11 has a challenge in this current lifetime. It's mirroring the same age that a right. challenge happened in the previous lifetime. That's kind of a really common thing. And right, the research that you did, it, yeah. it can't be denied. I mean, I'm a believer. Yeah. I know. I mean, that's the thing. Like at one point, I think I say in the book, like at some point, just to discount all this just becomes myopic, really. You know, like you just can't keep saying, oh, it's a coincidence. Oh, it's a coincidence. Like literally it's every day. Things happen all the time. And it's, I've been told that Caitlin's energy is very strong, that she's doing a lot of work on the other side. Um, I, I would believe it. She's certainly doing a lot of work on this side. She's influenced a lot of people. Um, her passing influenced a lot of people and her life did as well. And now she's influencing even more people and I love hearing from them. It's great. It gives my day's purpose. So yeah, back to purpose. I I had to really think of like, who, who am I? You know, Kate, being Caitlin's mom was a huge part of my life, even though I was many other things too. And writing to me was always fiction writing, you know, ruminating, theorizing on the ideas that interested me and then sharing them. And then after her passing, the only thing I was, I have a novel that's almost finished that I will go back to, but I have, I have had no interest in. And I just started sharing things on this blog. It was the only thing that felt right. Once she was gone was just writing on the blog and sharing her things. I would share the signs that I would receive and the most unlikely people would respond and say, well, you know, I don't really like to talk about it because people think I'm crazy. But <laughs> You know, so many people say that, that you're just kind of like, okay, there's a lot that people aren't talking about. And there's also been a lot of research into all of it. That's another thing I discovered that there's a whole world of research out there and it's hard, obviously hard to research the paranormal, but people try. And, you know, I'm, I keep this on my desk because this, I gave this to Caitlin. I'm showing um, a little tiny rubber ball that's painted with the map of the earth on it. So it's a little globe. And I put it in her Christmas stocking the first year of waiting for transplant because she loved traveling so much. And I said, you know, the world will be yours after transplant. And now I also think, you know, she she had this little quote, this line. She said, I always I think she had written it to her boyfriend. I always like to picture myself high above the earth, looking down. And it just helps me put my my place in 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 this life in perspective and just see well it's all been done before again like i am temporary and it would just make me feel calm in the moment and i often look at it too and i think you know science is so loud about poo-pooing so much and yet yeah. you know it wasn't that long ago that people were killed for believing the earth was round you know we're still quite primitive in so many ways i totally agree with that <laughs> Tell us about um, the signs that she gave you, the, the three, three. Well, the signs started happening while she was in the ICU. And uh, I thought they were signs that it was going to be okay. She, we had gotten horrible, horrible news from her, her surgeon that she was probably too sick to be transplanted. Um, she had to wait too long. That was the main reason why everything went, went south. And her boyfriend and her best friend were by her side and my husband said come on i'm gonna take you home you've been here too long we're gonna we'll go get a shower and we got on the highway to get go back to our apartment in pittsburgh and a big white red-tailed hawk came flying straight at me like straight at the windshield and i i had never seen such. i mean i covered my my head with my hands and i 
I screamed and it went swooped up and over the windshield. And my husband and I looked, we just looked at each other. And I was like, that just feels like a sign. It felt like a, a good one. It felt like a sign. And then Hawks just kept doing things that week. And then she got her transplant. And then everything went wrong. And the Hawks continued to visit. They still do. But one in particular, and I wrote about it in the book, I was here home at my house. And a good friend had come to visit. And I opened the door, you know, to welcome her. And it was like this hawk had been sitting above my door on my roof waiting. And it just literally flew right over our heads. And Susan just grabbed my arm. And, and she said, I'm, I'm glad I was here to witness this. It's the kind of thing it would be hard to believe if someone told you. Like, was it really right above our heads? Yes, it was. And hawks continued to do lots of things. And I, you know, I've since learned that, yeah, birds, hawks, they are signs. And apparently the energy can be manipulated anyway. But then other really, you know, more, I mean, a hawk, yeah, a hawk in the number 33, Caitlin was 33 when she passed and 33 is definitely a thing in, uh, to the point where you're like, okay, am I just looking for 33s? No, no, I believe not. you. I, I'm I, not, I'm not because yeah. they're, they're, they're coming at me like, you know, thick and fast and. And then some really cool other things, um, a few of which I put in the book, like being out on Martha's Vineyard and driving down this long, lonely road that I had last driven on with Caitlin. And it's just, no one's ever on this, it's just this long empty road at the end of the island and it ends at a dead end at the water. And I was trying, you know, it was not long after she was gone and I was talking aloud and crying and saying, no one will ever call me mom again. I loved you from the first minute. And I get out to the end to turn around and there's one guy out there all by himself, just walking, a guy, just a young guy walking and he's got a big burlap bag over his shoulder and it has three big red letters on the side, M-O-M. -M. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> so things like that are the kinds of things that have happened nonstop. So yeah, um, what I have decided is that regardless of where you think they come from, synchronicities do exist. Yes. And they can comfort you. Yes. So take the comfort, take the magic, enjoy it. <laughs> because there's a lot in this life that isn't enjoyable. But it's not like you're saying, oh, coincidence, coincidences, synchronicities don't exist. They do exist. There's right. no doubt that they exist. So they okay. exist. Yes. And you have seen so many. Yeah. Like you said, this isn't, yeah, you can't make this stuff up. That's you, the thing. I mean, really, you really can't make no. this stuff up. And then, you know, toward the end of the book, I talk about being in California and there was just like one thing after the other that's almost comical. Like the, the medium in one of her books, she talks about this, the spirit, like playing jokes. And I feel like that happens a lot with Caitlin. Like she loved all birds and she loved pigeons. Not too many people love pigeons, but Caitlin and my mom loved pigeons. I remember we were in Paris once and we were looking at something beautiful and Caitlin was like, look at those pigeons. Like she was looking at the pigeons and taking photos of the pigeons. So anyway, I've always been sort of freaked out by pigeons. And I swear, pigeons are, anytime I'm in the city now, pigeons are flying at me. And I, it's almost like I can hear her cackling, like knowing I'm getting freaked out by the pigeons. So I think there's probably a sense of humor on the other side for sure, because we always, we believed in humor and laughter and, you know, we had great hospital humor and Make yeah, you've got to make the most out of what it is and exactly. you, you definitely did that so we did we were good at things like hospital hangman etc <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that's so interesting you know as your purpose in life has evolved from fiction writer to memoir writer you also um like i have this thing i call it the little voice that talks to me in my head and you describe a little voice that told mm -hmm. you years before Mm -hmm. that you were going to be assisting people in transitioning into the afterlife. And you kind of went, what, what was that? And then eventually you went down that path. So you, can you tell us, I, I've been hearing more and more about this end of life doula because I have some friends who are enrolled in that program. And I oh. really want to hear you tell us about oh, what so this cool. is and how it differs from hospice and just tell us your experience. Okay. Well, the New York, Times, important. New York Times wrote a story about end of life doulas two weeks ago and it's framed around me. So you should read it because it will explain everything. Because when she started to interview me, I was like, 
there have been plenty of stories about end-of-life doulas, but they're not really explaining what it is. Like people think it's medical, they're not really sure. Basically, just imagine the most empathic personal assistant who can help you with anything you need help with. This is what like a, a full-scale end-of-life doula can do. From the time of diagnosis to passing and beyond to support you and your family and your loved ones in any way that you need support. If that's like helping to coordinate the hospice care team, the medical team, because it is not a medical, even though like my cert certification came from UVM's medical school, it's not a medical role um, helping plan end of life care. My thing that I like to do is um, helping people write life stories and, and you don't have to be at end of life or elderly for that. I think everyone should should sit down for half an hour and answer some questions and write, write their life story. It helps, it's a great tool for self-reflection. Um, but, you know, walking the dog, making snacks, um, sitting vigil, especially, you know, sitting with people when they're close to passing. But, you know, they will have other people around them, too. They'll have their, it depends on who they are, but they'll have their hospice team if, if they're on hospice. So basically, it's, it's an empathic, all-around assistant. I've always been a, um, a volunteer. I like volunteering. And I even did it in Pittsburgh. I, I volunteered once a week with this amazing man who um, was living with end-stage ALS. And he was, I was supposed to read to him. And we just talked whenever I visited. He was just fascinating. Taoist, hawk, he was a hawk expert. He had been a professional photographer, taught at the Art Institute. He was just an incredible man. And um, actually, when he, when he passed, he texted me <laughs> the morning he, he was leaving because I was back home. By then, um, it was after Caitlin's passing, and he said, "You know, um, Caitlin took the Hawks, so I'll send you Blue Jays." Because he knew I lo loved Blue Jays, I loved the sound of Blue Jays, and he had a great sense of humor. And I, I had a really, right after his passing, I had a really funny Blue Jay <laughs> experience that just made me laugh. And I was like, "Okay, thanks, you know, thank you." So um, I've always loved volunteering. I used to volunteer at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston before Caitlin got sick once a week. And I liked, I just like spending time with, not the maternity, I liked people who needed a little extra kindness, usually people, you know, in the cancer floors. I would, I did Reiki. Yeah. And again, oh, Reiki yes. was, Reiki was one of those things that I was like, eh, I don't even know what this is, but I'm just gonna check it out. And then to me, the gift of Reiki, and, and so many hospitals have great programs now, including Boston Brigham's, um, was just like being able to just put a sign on the door, go in for 20 minutes and give people some kind, undisturbed attention. So regardless, of, again, regardless of what you think about energy work or any of that. We all love it on this show. Okay. Well, I, I do a lot of energy work also. Cause I, I do love both. it. Yes. So, but you so, know, yes, even, welcome even to our like, strange world. You'll I, fit right in. I am happy to fit in <laughs> and I just loved doing it. And, um, and I had mm -hmm. always wanted to do hospice and didn't feel ready for anything except writing. I, you know, finally, I mean, I just nine months after her passing, I decided to write the book nine months to the day. And, you know, the book world, like I wrote it for two years and then it goes into production and I've been writing all kinds of things to go with it. So um, I took the end of life doula class at the end of 2019 with the idea that, you know, the book was in production and I could start hospice training last year, but then COVID came. So um, I created this legacy workshop, this little mini workshop that I've given a few times. And again, it's for anyone. It, you can take it to give, to help people, you know, do one with a loved one, but also I encourage people to do it for themselves, like I said. And um yeah, and then my portable healing garden, I finally hit upon the idea because that was nagging at me. I write in the book about how Caitlin tried to save a healing garden at Children's Hospital. Yes. Oh, that thread of the story. Yeah, that's a thread. I, I don't want to spoil the surprise of that, but that was quite a journey. It really, friends. really you was. Need to read her book. Okay. <laughs> there are a lot of threads, and that's one of them. And I had it in my head to create a portable healing garden in Caitlin's honor. And I'm, but I'm, finally, I was just like, you know what? I'm not the type of person who's going to start a 501c3 start big. I decided it can just be one plant at a time. So um, actually, I, I delivered my first plant yesterday to a 90 year old who, um, who is losing her sight and her hearing, but she hasn't lost her sense of smell. And it was a beautiful, fragrant lavender plant. 
and I, I made the pot with um, somebody, a stranger that I don't even know, had made these beautiful little charms when Caitlin passed. Um, Caitlin liked to draw birds, and she had taken Caitlin's, a couple of Caitlin's bird drawings and had them engraved onto these little charms. And I had a whole bunch of the little small ones left, so I, I, like I tied one of the little charms onto the lavender plant. It was really nice. So, and then, you know, sitting there listening to the lady's stories was, was nice because she she's 90. She has no one left in her life anymore, you know? Yeah, that's so that's, important. Uh, there was, I remember being in, in the hospital at Pittsburgh and seeing a sign in the ER that was like, we have a program here called Nobody Dies Alone. And I thought, oh my God, like, that's just the war. And it happens so much with COVID. Oh, people dying alone, just horrifying. I have to say, I, I read your article in Time Magazine. Uh, and I just want to, yeah. ex again, extend my condolences. You have had quite a year last year. Yeah, I have to say, I, I almost felt unfazed because of what we went through with Caitlin. Not, I mean, it, yeah, COVID really didn't phase me. I felt really bad for my mother. It was hard for her. Um, Fortunately, she didn't have COVID and we were able to visit her at the end. They did allow us in two at a time. But um, yeah, it was, a hard, it was a hard year for a lot of people last year. Yeah. And I, you know, I feel like I had to live, with, I've had to live with this drama since I was 27 years old. So I'm kind of used to it. Maybe I've got a little, you know, PTSD. I, you know, I've, I've really had to learn to deal with anxiety and such because you feel like you're on alert all the time but I, I i've really worked it the last few years like meditating and also the fact that i don't have to worry about caitlin anymore has gotten rid of a lot of the anxiety because i used to just really stress out when she was sick i would imagine chronic chronic uncertainty breeds chronic anxiety and even if you're not even aware of it it's 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 burning away there in your, in your gut. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering about you, like when COVID did, I mean, aside from the fact your mother had become ill and you couldn't see her, this was in your time magazine article, very heart wrenching, but even beyond that, I was wondering before I had read that, just thinking about the way you so deeply took us into your personal life about how you were living your life for so many years, you and Caitlin, you had medical supplies in the house, mm. you have to go to places that should be sterilized and take your wipes and wipe everything down to make sure oh, yeah. that she's not going to get any germs. And I was wondering, how did COVID then make you feel when the rest of the world starts doing the things that you had been doing your whole life? Yeah, like, well, did that bring up some trauma for you or memories? <laughs> no not trauma because once you start living like that like my husband and i actually we flew back from morocco last last march march 1st and when we had gotten on the plane to go over two weeks earlier we had our masks on ever since caitlin started getting sicker and sicker we would just wear masks on airplanes right so disgusting you know otherwise in the winter in the winter and that's right. usually when we travel we don't really go away in the summer anyway um i, I felt yeah it just felt like and I know Caitlin, you know, friends of Caitlin's who've had transplants and are living and doing well, they're just like, yeah, COVID is pain because I'm stuck at home. But this is the way I've been living. Like, what? here's what it's like for some of us all the time, you know, yeah. always having to be careful of catching something, people living with suppressed immune systems. So I really was kind of unfazed. I felt bad for other people. Right. Um, and I, I got really sick of cooking every day like everyone else. <laughs> And I was really kind of bummed because after three years of not being able to travel when we were waiting for transplant, I mean, travel is my thing. I love looking forward to a good trip. I was really ready. Like last year, I was like, oh my God, I've always wanted to go to Morocco. We went to Morocco and I was going to go to London in April and we were going to go, you know, my husband's from Ireland. We were going to go to Ireland later last fall and it just felt like a ripoff. But, you know, those are small problems compared to what some people went through. So I feel like I losing Caitlin and waiting for transplant was way worse than anything I experienced yes. in COVID, but other people experienced horrible things in COVID. So I was just kind of curious I, for different reasons. I feel the same. I thought I was kind of weirdly thankful for hard times that I had when I was younger. 
Mm-hmm. That COVID didn't feel that hard to me either, but I was just kind of right. curious about how you had felt about it. I, I do feel for people when they, they haven't had any experiences like this. This is very, very shocking, but I know. anyway. I think too, it's very easy to live inside this world of, you know, 21st century United States and we are easily gratified and we have everything at our fingertips and to just sort of take it all for granted. And I've honestly never taken anything for granted. Even as a kid, I was probably a strange kid, but I just remember being like 13 and thinking, well, the bad things that happen at least make me, you know, a a better person, a stronger person. I I, I think maybe I have had some kind of premonition my whole life that waiting for the other shoe to drop, I don't know, but I've never really taken much for granted. I think it's a good way to live. I mean, just being grateful for the things that we do have. Um, I guess I think some of Caitlin's writings um, that have stuck with me, you know, she's got kind of almost at times almost a Buddhist nature about Mm -hmm. the temporal state of reality. And, you know, we're going to have hard times. We're going to have good times. We just have to kind of, you know, sail through those things. And I think that that's um, more wisdom from Caitlin yeah. about, you know, how we should all think about the ups and downs of life that we can just yeah. move through them, but we are living them. So we might as well enjoy it while we're here. Exactly. And, you know, not get too stressed out about, you know, things that aren't that horrible. You know, it, it is hard to deal with things that are horrible, I'll be honest. But a lot of times, I mean, my my husband sees a lot. He's he's kind of the mayor of wherever he happens to be. So he sees a lot of people out in the public and he sees a lot of people who sort of serve the public. And so many people have said that this past year has really made people either really, really mean or really, really nice. Yes. And the airlines are talking about not serving drinks on planes anymore because people are behaving so badly on the planes. I mean, come on. (laughs) I know. It's like, please, you know. If you don't want to do it, then just stay home. Exactly. Exactly. And be grateful that you're getting to go somewhere. Come on. Exactly. And being mean to a flight attendant. I mean, that's. Mm -mm. Yeah, because people have worked so hard to keep the society going. We owe them a debt of gratitude. I think so. I was very happy when I got on a plane recently. Exactly. And if you don't like a face mask, I mean, I don't like a face mask, but you know, you can always meditate. You know? Yeah, I mean, and like I said, we were used to wearing them. I, I've worn plenty of face masks in the hospital um, as a volunteer and with my daughter and on planes myself. So I, we used to wish, we used to wish that during flu season, she would be terrified during flu season. She was always terrified because, because she knew all it took was one really horrible infection to put her over the edge. And she would be so afraid of getting the flu and she, we would just wish that it would be like Asia where people would just wear masks during flu season. Yeah. Even when I was volunteering at the Brigham, I just used to picture like a big sign over the big, you know, um, when you walk in the information booth, just saying, you know, wear a mask, protect yourself. Cause you can't ask people to protect other people. So protect yourself, wear a mask. It's flu season. So I don't see the big deal of wearing a mask, but anyway. Yeah, I don't either. I I think the Asian culture, though, is very into the idea that I'm going to wear my mask for you. And I think that's a good um, distinction as well that maybe we could try to adapt. I don't know if well, we're going I, to. I agree. <laughs> but that was part of what Caitlin and I would talk about. Like, well, we probably that probably won't work here. But how about protect yourself? That yeah, that's the here. best we can do is look out for ourselves. Okay, fine. But some of us can look out for others and some can just look out for themselves. But the result would be the same. Yeah, maybe not a bad flu season. Not a bad flu season. Although now with everybody wearing masks and being indoors all year, a lot of people really got sick. Um, yeah. I noticed like the last few months, but. Yeah, it's been an interesting time. That's for sure. I always expected to live through a pandemic because um, I had written a novel where I had researched the 1918 one, my main character's father, um, mother and and um, brother had died during the 1918 flu pandemic. So I had gone down the rabbit hole with the 1918 flu pandemic and had been horrified. And ours was not even close to how horrible that was. And certainly yeah. at a different time when that made it even worse. But, you know, during the 2000s, there were some threats of pandemics and Caitlin again was terrified. I was terrified. Every mm-hmm. time flu season was over, we would kind of breathe a sigh of relief. And I have to say that when this pandemic started, I was, I was, and I wasn't grateful, but I was happy she didn't have to live through it. 
because that she would have been very fearful. She wouldn't have been able to even go outside. No, I mean, especially after transplant, when your immune system is suppressed. So yeah, that would have been um, very, very difficult. So are you, what are you working on next? Well, I am doing oh, a lot of things. So I have in the fall, I have this, this legacy, legacy workshop I created also has a, like a talk component, but I've been asked to do the talk a few times. And so I have to write the legacy more of it and get rid of the workshop part and, and write more of the like, and that's fine. That's fine. It's a, it's a visual thing. I, I love visuals. Even when, even before zoom, I liked, I like giving people visuals. People like to look at things. So I had created the legacy workshop as a way of sort of combating zoom fatigue <laughs> when I'm talking about little matches and it was a way of just offering something else besides here just listen to me talk or read I don't really like to read too much from books I think people tune out and it gets a little boring so um I don't like to be read too personally and maybe some, I know some people do so right. I've been working on that um and then you'll remember in the book that I talk about a young woman named Mallory who um had her transplant and didn't make it two months later and she was a brilliant young woman and her mom made sure that her writings, she had been writing her own memoir, documenting everything. Um, Penguin published her memoir posthumously in 2019. Her mom's been going around the country talking, talking, talking. She's a dynamo. And we met Mallory in Pittsburgh. And then also in the book, it was also like a meaningful coincidence that Mallory's doctor from Stanford, lung transplant, head of lung transplant at Stanford, happened to be in the little teeny tiny Italian memoir writing workshop I was in when I first started writing Little Matches. There were 10 of us. I started reading the other people's pages and I'm like, what? And it was about his, you know, conflicted relationship with um, the whole medical world and transplant, et cetera. So the three, I just, when, when that happened, I was like, okay, the three of us are, I had texted Mallory's mom saying, is this your, is this your friend that you were talking about? And she's like, yep. So the three of us have written a talk. We are literally just putting the finishing touches on it. Um, three perspectives, one purpose, how storytelling can improve health outcomes for all. Basically why, why medicine needs stories, which is a big thing now anyway. And what we offer our three perspectives as the patient, the parent, and the provider. It's a great talk. We're working on the visuals now. And of course, the first time we're giving it is Caitlin's birthday, July 31st. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and That's then we, amazing. Yeah. So we're you can't make this stuff up. I know you can't make this stuff up. So we do that and that's, um, we hadn't planned to do anything this early. We had been shooting for the fall, but then the opportunity came to speak at a big CF conference in San Francisco virtually in July. So we're doing that and then doing like medical grand, grand medicine grand rounds at different hospitals, et cetera. We have a, like four talks planned, but I know we'll be doing more. So oh, I'm working amazing. on that. But then, then it's, you know, we have a script, we have visuals. Once those things are done, they're kind of done. And I really would like to go back to the, the book I was writing when I, when we were waiting for transplant. So. Yeah. I kind of think books are born, so it'll, it'll come out, I guess, when it's ready. It was almost done. And I, Weirdly, it kind of parallels a lot of what I'm doing now, like legacy work, um, what are like end of life stuff. It's kind of it's kind of funny. So I'm eager to go back to it just when the time is right. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that is so interesting. Yeah. Well, Marianne, um, it's been a joy to speak with you, and your book is just absolutely beautiful. I, it's highly, highly recommended. Um, tell us. Also, I, I want to ask, tell us about the title, Little Matches. Where does that come from? I wanted you to tell us that. Of course, it's from Virginia Woolf, um, To the Lighthouse, which was a book that Caitlin and I both loved. We actually both, she used my school copy of To the Lighthouse for her school copy. And there's just a part toward the end where um, she says, you know, what is, what is the meaning of life? That is all a simple question one that tends to close in on one with years. And then she writes, the great revelation never did come. Perhaps it never does come. Instead, there are little matches like along the way. 
illuminating the dark, paraphrasing. So yeah, I, it had been, I had a lot of different titles and that one just was the one that seemed to cover the whole, all the different threats in the book and the major arc of the book. So it was speak to me and Joni for a little while too. Oh, and do you want to hear a really cool thing? Yeah, we it do. Was, it was speak to me and Joni and for a long time was the working title and I was up in Maine and I checked into this, the press hotel there to get, you know, to get this draft done to send to my agent. And then I was working all day and I was going to meet my good friend for uh, dinner. And I went to put the do not disturb sign on. And uh, where is it? Oh, the do not disturb sign at the press hotel in Portland. My goal as a writer is more to comfort than to disturb Joni Mitchell. Come on. And I was no. out in the, I was out in the hallway and I'm like, are you kidding me? Come on. You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> no. And re readers and viewers out there, um, let's just say, I don't want to spoil any surprises, but there's just some, Caitlin lists some songs and that's what this, that's what we're talking about. So you'll have to read this book to find out. And also something the medium said to me. So yes. And the medium. Yes. yes. Which again. Um, What's the likelihood? I no, know. it's a miracle. I know. It's, it's so a little cool. match. It's a, it is totally it's a little, little match. match as you just get these little matches and they're taking you down your path. And they light the way in the dark. Following your path. Yeah. And doing it so wonderfully. This was so fun to talk to you. Yeah, it was great to talk to you. Thank you. A kindred spirit. Yeah. So. I might go to the Texas Book Festival. I don't, know where, I, I don't even know where it is. <laughs> I don't even know either, I guess. I've been, I've been to Texas once years ago for a wedding. Oh, okay. It's very hot. So hopefully your festival will be in the fall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Well, thank you. Thank you. I just wish you continued peace, happiness, joy on the path and just keep doing what you're doing and thank you. spreading thank you. your love and legacy everywhere You're certainly spreading a lot of goodness so thank you thank you okay all right friends so pick up marianne's book little matches you're not going to believe this it's a beautiful story very inspirational and i'll see you next time on healing arts you've been listening to healing arts with dr shelley care visit me online at pastlifelady.com or on YouTube at Past Life Lady, or connect with me on Facebook at Past Life Lady. Healing Arts is sponsored in part by PastLifeLady.com, my official website where you can find information about past life regression, my books, energy healing methods, gems, stones, and minerals, and more. Visit pastlifelady.com for more details and through the generous donations from supporters like you. Click on the links to discover how you can support the Healing Arts Program. And thank you in advance. Namaste. Namaste.